The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents Daughter of the Deep, Episode 3. The tops of Samara's naked shins shimmered with a viscous texture. Farther down her legs, the skin was scaly and silver. Prismatic hints of color reminded Elizabeth of rainbow trout. Toward the ankle, the colors converged into a minty shade, which deepened along her foot. From her heel, five cartilaginous digits splayed outward, webbed together with rubbery flesh. Except for the fishy surface, they looked exactly like the feet of a duck. Samara sighed. Then, without warning, she approached the wardrobe and opened its doors. Elizabeth charged, cupping a hand over Samara's mouth. The startled woman threw her arms outward, but Elizabeth muffled her scream. Together, they staggered across the room, carried by the momentum of Elizabeth's assault, until they collapsed on the bed. She spread her knees across Samara's body, pinning her to the mattress. Samara tried to scratch at Elizabeth's face, but the oncologist batted them away with her free hand. Quiet, Elizabeth rasped. I'm not going to hurt you. This wasn't much of a promise, she knew, and Elizabeth could feel Samara's chest rising and falling beneath her, the heaving of sheer terror. The woman's eyes were wide open, the pupils dilated. A blob of mucus clung to one nostril. I want to help you, Elizabeth said. You can trust me, but for heaven's sakes, don't scream. Do you understand? Nothing could have made Elizabeth happier than Samara's frantic nod of assent. It didn't mean much. Taking her hand away was still a calculated risk, but neither could Elizabeth spend all night straddling the poor girl. She lifted her fingers from Samara's mouth and relished the silence that followed. What? What do you want? Samara whispered, her voice quavering. Her speech hinted of an implacable Mediterranean accent. Elizabeth slid away, and her feet thumped to the floor. She brushed herself off, then looked to the entrance. She could see the sliver of light beneath the door, its perfect line interrupted by two dark shadows. There's someone outside, isn't there? Elizabeth said. Samara looked away. She brushed hair from her face, hooking the woolen locks behind her ear. Yes, she said. Is it the young man, the tall one? Yes, Christopher. She sneered. But what does it matter? Here's what I think, Elizabeth said. I think Mr. Routley did find you on that beach, just like they say, but I doubt he wanted to raise you like a daughter. I think he took one look at those legs of yours and thought, that's a champion swimmer, and I'm about to make a lot of money. Get out, Samara ordered. Get out of my room. Yet her voice was still hushed. One good scream could wake the entire hotel, and all hell would break loose. Authorities would be called. Reporters would appear. Elizabeth's break-in would scandalize them all. But Samara wasn't screaming. 
She wasn't alerting Christopher, her guard outside. Could Elizabeth trust her friend's rival, a woman she had never met before now? Should she prod a champion athlete with a limitless future ahead of her? It was chancy, but Elizabeth would stay and say her piece. Look, Samra, said Elizabeth, I don't know you from a guppy, but I do know a raw deal when I see one. Routley didn't rescue you. He kidnapped you. He stole you from that beach and kept you in his home. And then he groomed you to be the best swimmer there is, which for you is only natural because you were born at the bottom of the sea. Samara's lips warped with emotion, her eyes blotted with tears. How? How do you know? Call it a hunch, said Elizabeth. No terrestrial human has ever swum 1,500 meters in 11 minutes, not even close. That could have been an error, of course. But then I saw your outfits, long dresses that covered your feet, even in summer, and the 4 a.m. start time, from a boat. They want to make sure you swim the race in the dark, far from land, so that no one can see your... Elizabeth struggled for the right word. Your anatomy. You must go, said Samara. They cannot find you here. Because you're a prisoner. It does not matter. Samara slipped off the bed. She turned away from Elizabeth and strayed to the corner, hiding her face in the darkness. There is nowhere for me to go. Couldn't you go back? Back to the sea? We never go to the sea, said Samara. He never allows it. Elizabeth took a step forward. They watch you like a hawk, don't they? They keep you under guard, to make sure you can't get away. But where would I go? Samara gasped. She bit absently at her finger. It has been ten years. I was a child. Elizabeth spoke as gently as she could. Samara, what happened to you? How did you find yourself on that beach? Samara sighed and her shoulders sagged with melancholy. It was an accident. There was a long pause, and perhaps Samara wanted to leave it at that, but at last she relented. My family, my people, once they lived like you on the land, but our city, it sank, and it went deeper into the water. We changed. Or that is what they say. This was the story my father always told me. We escaped from the land. We hid ourselves from the people above. As long as we stayed in our city, we were safe. Elizabeth could barely contain her excitement. Was your city, was it called Atlantis? Samara shook her head. That was not our name for it. But I know this story. My tutor told me about your Plato, about the city that disappeared into the sea. And perhaps it is the same. I do not know. Perhaps no one knows. She rubbed her arms and hung her head. One day, I went with my sister to where the water is shallow. I cannot remember why. It was not forbidden. No one said it was dangerous. We told my mother where we were going. I told her, she choked on the words. It was the last time I saw her, 
to tell her where I was going. But all was well. It was peaceful. We thought nothing of it. And then the water pulled me. I couldn't control myself. I swam as hard as I could, but it dragged me away from my sister. I called out to her, but I couldn't hear my own voice. I couldn't... A riptide, Elizabeth said. It carried you away, didn't it? It was so strong, Samara whimpered. I became tired. I stopped moving. I closed my eyes and I waited. I don't know how far I went. I could not stay awake. And then I came to the surface. The waves, they carried me to the beach. They left me in the sand. The sun was so bright, I was blinded. It burned my skin. But I could not move. My body felt so heavy. I could hear nothing because sound is is so different in the air. Nothing made sense to me. I lay there and I wanted to die. And then he came, said Elizabeth. He picked me up and took me to his boat, whispered Samara, her face crumpled with bitterness. I could not fight. I was so tired. And then... She shook her head. I became a part of this world. This terrible world you live in. Elizabeth decided to leave it at that. She could only guess the torment Samara had suffered at the hands of an old industrialist, imprisoned in his mansion. In the painful silence that followed, Elizabeth tried to imagine the last decade of her life, adjusting to gravity, learning to walk, breathing air, smelling the odors of the terrestrial world. How had she endured such unrelenting sunlight? How had she forced herself to eat strange foods? Elizabeth thought of how sound travels more smoothly in water, yet its direction is harder to place. Up here, Samara had been forced to speak a new language, to rediscover the mechanics of sound and vision. In every way, she had relearned how to exist. I am so tired of this life, said Samara. Without fanfare, she began to remove the last of her clothing. The bloomers dropped to the floor. She unlaced her corset and discarded it as well. Elizabeth watched her cross to the glass box, that murky aquarium, that transparent coffin, and step into the green brine. The liquid subsumed her. Her naked limbs and torso vanished from sight. Samara, said Elizabeth, crouching nearby. I have an idea. Just let me sleep, murmured Samara. The water engulfed her hair, then her neck. Only her face remained afloat, a perfect feminine profile. I am so tired. Please, urged Elizabeth. Just listen to me. Knuckles rapped at the door, followed by a husky voice. Samara, are you decent? Elizabeth heard the door open, followed by movements in the bedroom. The young man came inside, and now he was silently ushering Samara into the corridor. She heard some stifled conversation, something about a towel, 
but Elizabeth couldn't make out precise words. She pressed her ear against the powder room's door, but the noises were ambiguous. Finally, she detected the swish of departure, and the hotel room was silent. Elizabeth sighed with relief and cracked the powder room door. She skulked across the carpet, past the two windows. Their shades were drawn, but there was nothing to see anyhow. At 3 a.m., the valley was as dark as midnight. It took her only a minute to descend the staircase to the second floor and arrive at her own room. She could sense movement throughout the hotel. Guests murmured inside their rooms, most of them groggy. Elizabeth could feel the tiny vibrations of early risers, dressing and prepping in their respective quarters. She changed hurriedly into a wool dress and stockings, anticipating the cool air outside. Then she flew out of her room, bolted down the stairs, and found herself outside, trudging toward the lake. Some torches burned by the dock, and a small crowd had already formed. She heard some chit-chat, but most of the idlers were too drowsy to speak. As her eyes adjusted, Elizabeth could see a pair of lights in the blackness, two lamps, one for each boat, floating in the distance. She buried her hands in her pockets and watched the emptiness before her. A figure appeared. The man was small and frail-looking, but his large coat augmented his physique. His spectacles reflected light, making them appear like two silver plates over his eyes. He stopped in front of Elizabeth, tipped his bowler hat, and said, Miss Crown, I presume? Elizabeth raised her eyebrows. Mr. Routley, pleased to meet you, he said. Yet he did not extend a hand, nor did he show any trace of conviviality. I understand you met my ward last night. Your ward? Samara Kechaste. He took a long step forward. His face hovered closely to Elizabeth's, and she could smell his oily aftershave. You came to her room last night. Elizabeth knitted her brow. You must have me confused with... No, Routley interrupted. It was you. And shall I tell you how I know? Elizabeth swallowed audibly. Be my guest. Baseless allegations are my hobby. I know this, Routley growled, because she told me. You sneaked into her room like a common burglar, and you accosted her. And given your relationship with Mrs. Merriweather, I can only assume why. You mean, said Elizabeth, to get her autograph? Because I can't think of any other reason I'd talk to Samara Kachaste, much less break into her room. And how long did she say I was there? Routley cocked his head back, perplexed. What do you mean? Well, if your story had any merit, Samara would have thrown me out, wouldn't she? But doesn't your man Christopher stand guard outside her room? He watches her day and night, poor thing. I doubt he gets a wink of sleep. So, how did I get out without him noticing? Did I jump from the third-story window? Or did I shimmy down the dumbwaiter? Because as far as I can tell, your ward is a liar. 
Elizabeth turned abruptly and waved to a nearby figure. He was a fresh-faced young man wearing an oversized fedora. Excuse me, Elizabeth called. You in the hat. Did I hear you're with the times? The startled youth strode over to her. Ah, that's right, miss. Mr. Routley was just telling me the most remarkable story, Elizabeth said, training her eyes on the old man. Could you tell me again about how I broke into Ms. Kachaste's room and uh, what was I doing again? The young reporter squinted at Routley and drew his notebook. Say that again? A break-in, did you say? That's what he says, said Elizabeth. If you ask me, the old man's getting senile. But if you really think I'd threaten a young lady, Mr. Routley, by all means, let's go see this room of hers. Routley's mouth hung open. He vehemently shook his head. No, no, that won't be necessary. Won't it be? persisted Elizabeth. I mean, I have nothing to hide. And if you have nothing to hide, then maybe we should clear this matter up. What do you think, Mr... Ambridge, said the reporter, adjusting his bow tie. Maybe Mr. Ambridge here would like to see the scene of the alleged crime, Elizabeth said, barely concealing her grin. Since you insist a crime has been committed. Or maybe you're mistaken. Maybe you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The crackled skin of Routley's face tightened with anger. He leaned into Elizabeth, his mouth contorted, his iron eyes barely visible beyond his lenses. You're making a very serious mistake, Miss Crown. Whatever you think you're doing, I suggest you reconsider. Actually, the mistake is yours, Elizabeth spat, and if you ever thought to make it right, you're ten years too late. Routley gnashed his teeth, ready to unleash his wrath. But a gunshot rang out, and the crowd erupted in cheers and clapping. Elizabeth could hear the swimmers' dull splashes as they dove into the black water, and then the sounds of swimming were lost in torrential ovation. She shot the millionaire a victorious grin before turning away and blending into the crowd. Everything had gone according to plan. You've been listening to Daughter of the Deep, Episode 3, by Robert Eisenberg. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Backpack Media, LLC. Music by Naoya Sakamata and Sixomatic. For more information about the exciting field of uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net. <laughs>